Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Thank God it's Podmas! Welcome to Queen Pod. It's lovely to be back. Happy Christmas, everybody, on this fine Christmas Day. Now, if she didn't do this well, she wouldn't have anything to do. She can't cook and she'd be a terrible housewife. It's comedian, Suze Kempner! Oh, thanks. I hope those are lyrics. <laughs> you upset? Yeah, it's not lyrics, no. It's a it's a quote by Freddie Mercury, so it's on point. He said that about himself, and I find that him saying himself as it would be a terrible housewife isn't the same That's as me funny. saying you would be a terrible housewife. No, I'm. I think I I think I would be, but it depends on your definition of housewife. Like, there's some things I'd be great at in the home. I own all the streaming services. Um, I'm pretty good. Uh, I get up pretty early, but I don't make an awful lot of noise. So in some ways, quite good. Well, let's try to be a little bit less offensive for our other fellow (laughs) podder. Uh, He's talking from here! It's Queen filmmaker Simon Lupton! Yeah, that's so less offensive. Thank you. Yeah? (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. There you go. So good Christmas insults to kick off uh, this year's podding. How are you, Mr Lupton? Very, very well, feeling very festive, despite festive. everyone's best e- efforts to ruin Christmas. We're all going to hunker down, aren't yeah. we? We're going to enjoy yeah. it anyway. Eat some Absolutely. cheese, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, dear old John Robbins is not able to join us for the 12 days of Podmas. Sadly, sadly. However, we may be hearing from him from time to time. We will be. We will be. He's Yeah, we will hear from John. Uh, he is uh, off doing worky things. So it is the three of us for this lovely special podcast um, in a year that would have seen Freddie Mercury uh, turn 75 years old. Mm. So we thought we'd do a lovely, lovely special on the greatest frontman of all time. How does that sound? Yeah. Sounds great. It's a nice way to spend Christmas, isn't it? It's yeah. a nice way to spend Christmas. Spending some time with uh, with the uh, messenger of the gods himself. Um, but first, uh, we would love to just give our dear patrons a shout out um we have an incredibly loyal and supportive group of patrons uh 
and we would warmly encourage you all to join them if you can. The more support we get, the more pods we can make, and that is a good thing. If you join, when you join, not only do you get a fancy Queen Pod badge and a lovely postcard from all of us on the pod, you get a shout-out on the podcast. So... I am going to do a few thanks to some very special patrons here uh, by the name of Kev Sandberg, Craig Hetherington, Heidi Lacang, Suzanne Morris and Nigel Davenport. Thank you very much. Simon, have you got a few there? I'd, I'd like to thank uh, Stephen Millward or Millard. Sorry if I got that wrong. Uh, Judith Novak, John Wing, Bob Smith and Kate Jackson. Lovely, lovely, lovely. How about yeah. you, Suze? I'd like to thank Cameron McKenzie, Emma Victoria Smith, Paul Fowler, Shane McKee and Douglas Curran. Thank you. Hello, dear patrons. It is I, John Robbins, coming live from the Queen's Zone to wish you a very special festive thank you. Um, in true John Robbins fashion, I snuck a Frank Zappa t-shirt into the Queen's Zone, but uh, the four cornerstones of rock don't mind. So a very special thank you to Betsy Donegan, Katie Schwarm, Judith Wood, Chris and Tammy Sparks. I wish you a very good 2022. Happy New Year to you. And thank God it's Christmas. Bye bye. A Zappa t-shirt. I honestly don't know why we bothered, John. Um, I also want to give a very, very special... We all want to give a very, very special thanks to um, Meryl Cam out in uh, Atlanta. Who actually, Sandra and I, we were really lucky to bump into her at the uh, Roger Taylor gig at the Shepherd's Bush Empire um, in October, mm. which was lovely. Um, you know why we're thanking you. Thank you. Get involved. There's all kinds of cool stuff on the Patreon. Add free stuff. Like, <laughs> but there's a whole, there's stuff, isn't there? There's, there's things. Oh, God, we're here with producer Sam. We've got a new producer. Producer Sam, hello. Hi. <laughs> Hi, what else Sam. have we got on our Patreon? Oh yeah, we try and get the episodes up a bit early for Patreons sometimes. Nice, nice. That's yeah. always there. Uh, like we do cool Q and As and events. Yes. Listen with Ro. Plenty you could just like listen that. to a mini pod with me. <gasps> it's better than it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Listen. Let's talk about uh, one Mr. Freddie Mercury, shall we? Mm. Um, is there any little things that you know, Suze, about Freddie that you just, just every now and then you might be having a walk or, you know, sat at the bath and you're just going, oh, do you know what? I love that about Freddie Mercury. Oh, well, I really love that he loved cats so much. Um, which yes. is not, not the most Not the most unusual thing. We are, many of us, cat lovers on this very podcast. But uh, I, he, like, he really loved cats and he wouldn't be one of those people who goes around going, they don't love you, because they do. They just love you on their terms. <laughs> Which I prefer. I don't like... Dogs do my head in. Like, I like meeting people's nice dogs, but I don't want anything that loves me unconditionally. Do you think six cats is too many cats? I think it's not enough cats. More cats. into your future, <laughs> People frown upon single women who own a lot of cats and what yeah. they're doing is uh, frowning on women who are probably extremely happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just the patriarchy again, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Huh, get a husband. Oh, that sounds awful. More cats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cats are nowhere near as much hus- hassle as husbands. There's, exactly. That's a fact. That they is... look after themselves, etc. <laughs> yeah, they wash themselves. It's brilliant. 
Um, I've got a question. Your cats are called Freddie Mercury and Brian May, yeah? Yeah. So when you take them to the vets, mm. and the because when I take tumbles to the vets, when they come out for tumbles, I'll go, oh, tumbles. They won't go Rohan or Mr. Acharya. They'll they say the, the cat's name. Yeah. So what happens at your vets? Oh, I love it. Yeah, they come out and they go, Freddie Mercury and Brian May, because they always get seen together. <laughs> Uh, because they only have to have routine stuff done because they're tough, hard-as-nails, stable cats. <laughs> Born and raised in stables. Nothing wrong with those guys. Yeah, and I really like... I walk in there like I'm part of the band. Oh. Yeah, here they are. <laughs> oh, you're Suze with a bottle of water again, are you? Just... <laughs> Living my ultimate dream, yeah. Because <laughs> at our vets, they add my surname to the cat's Do they? name. I feel yeah, like they're so, going a bit far. You know, we can take our cat, Pumpkin. You know, they'll say, they'll come out and go, Pumpkin Lupton. So, <laughs> what? I, you know, you could live the dream if they came out and went, Freddie Mercury Kempner. And you go, yeah, we got uh, married and double barrel surname because, uh, you know, for professional reasons, yeah. kept your own name. Oh, they'll go, it was a platonic thing, but it worked it, for us. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, uh Mr. Lupton, anything beyond cats that uh, just every now and then you just go, oh, do you know what? That's bloody lovely, isn't it? Yeah, I've always loved the fact that um, Freddie had a, an amazing sense of humour and was very mischievous. And um, I love that about him. And um, uh, I rem- I've heard a number of stories over the years of when he's he's done some you know purely for the lols as it were mm. um and uh there was one story that actually david wig tells which i think was was brilliant was that after just after he'd moved into garden lodge um he had a housewarming party um and david wig was invited and david Wig got there quite early he was one of the first to arrive and when you walk through the front door there was a very grand sort of entrance and a balcony overlooking um the sort of the, the main hallway and Freddie was upstairs in the balcony and he summoned David up and they hid just sort of, you know, behind the banister on top of the balcony so they could they could spy people coming in and hear what they said. And Freddie was basically like, let's listen. And if any of them don't like the house, they're never coming again. <laughs> <laughs> Which oh, I just so love that kind fun. of behaviour. Lover of life, right there. Amazing. Absolutely. Do you know what? I thought I'd just get some, like, just some basic Freddy stats together. Uh, just what he achieved, actually, as a solo artist. So, Freddy, in his own right, he has had nine top 40 singles, six of which were top 10, and one of which was a UK number one living on my own got to number mm. one uh, the top tens were in my defence Barcelona got in there a couple of times got to number two in 1992 uh, The Great Pretender of course was a huge hit in 1987 mm. and Love Kills also uh, back in 84 made it into the top ten which I think is amazing his singles have spent a total of 20 weeks in the top ten 55 weeks in the top 40 which just goes to show just how popular the man is that's his non-queen output That's impressive. Um, uh, Here's something else. In March 2014, Rolling Stone did a reader's poll to determine the 10 greatest Queen songs. Would you like to hear what they were? Yeah. Yes. At number 10, I Want to Break Free. At number 9, Killer Queen. At number 8, The Show Must Go On. At number 7, Under Pressure. 
At number six, crazy little thing called love. At number five, who wants to live forever. At number four, somebody to love. At number three, don't stop me now. At number two, fat bottomed girls, which surprises me. And at number one, Bohemian Rhapsody. It doesn't okay. surprise me that fat bottomed girls. Yeah, girl not a shocker. Is, is it? uh, it's just that it's at number two. I was like, oh wow, yeah. it's that popular. Um, you know, which is uh, really interesting. What's mm-hmm. even more interesting is five of those songs are written by Freddie Mercury. Mm. Are you guys familiar with Shane's Queen site? Yes, yeah. Mm. Yes, yeah. exactly. And I think Shane listens to this pod, which is a wonderful thing. I think he has uh, uh, sent a message out or two, which is lovely. So, Shane, if you're listening, happy Christmas, mate. So, uh, what Shane's done, uh, lots of people have done this in different ways, is try and figure out... Uh, how many songs were written by each band member across the whole of the Queen catalogue? Um, and the way Shane went around about it was by, I think if it was a collaboration, say it was uh, Brian and uh, Freddie wrote, is this the world we created together? That that would count as a song by each of them. Um, right. Yeah, so they could both get a... Uh, get a credit for that. So, according to Shane's Queen site, uh, John Deacon wrote 23 of the Queen songs, Roger wrote 30 of them, Brian wrote 75 of them, and Freddie wrote how many, you think? Ooh. It must be in the, in the 90s. In the 90s for Suze? I would have said it was pretty even with Brian, so I'm going around about 75, 80, somewhere like that. Right, I'm going to give the points to Simon, Suze. So Brian wrote 75 of them. Freddie wrote 76. Ah, God, it was that close. I thought it was in. Wow. There you go. Isn't that amazing? There's a perception out there that that Freddie is sort of the primary songwriter for the group. He Mm. isn't. We could see that he isn't. But he also is. (laughs) He is. And it has led on to a slightly controversial thought for me. Right, so I we've got uh, a Queen Pod fan page, which is incredible to me. It's set up by this wonderful lady, Sarah Chapman. She's amazing. Happy Christmas, Sarah. Thank you. Um, and it's a lovely group. That everyone on there is really nice and super chill. Um, and it's just a really fun place to be. So if you're listening, it's free. If you use Facebook, jump in. It's a safe place. Um, come and join us there. It is great. What I did was um, I put a votey thing up on um, our uh, Queen fan page, that lovely group, uh, just asking them what the, it's a poll, just asking them what their favourite, at least favourite Queen songs are, because um, I was very curious. Um, in fairness, I meant that to be an open question, but actually I ended up just sort of putting in 10 options that they could pick from. The ones that kind of came in as... Um, just least favourite is how I put it, which was uh, Delilah was the one that sort of got 53 okay. votes as, as, as the one. That, and that was closely followed by Body Language and then Don't Try Suicide. And then I thought, well, actually, I wonder, this is my theory, I wonder if Freddie wrote songs like Bohemian Rhapsody and Somebody to Love and Killer Queen and um, We Are the Champions and these huge songs that are so synonymous with Queen and mm. hugely in the zeitgeist and consistently the the most popular Queen songs, right? I think he also wrote a lot of the the most divisive Queen songs, songs like Bonnie oh, okay. and Delilah, right? Mm-hmm. And you know how we've been talking about how Queen is super eclectic? 
and they are they've all got really individual different voices if you agree with me why is it you think that freddie as a songwriter had the ability to write songs that queen fans universally adore but also the songs that potentially are the most divisive for queen fans as well i'd say it's about taking big swings so freddie probably most frequently took the biggest swings uh, in the band when it came to songwriting he was quite fearless with it um and i think you can swing and miss yeah it's, it's literally just that you could you you can play things safe and just have album after album of people going yeah there's, these songs are very listenable <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah. you also won't get dizzy heights with that kind of thing yeah i i think sue's absolutely nailed it on on the head i think freddie didn't didn't want to get bored basically so mm. when he saw an opportunity to do something different he would run after it and embrace it i mean mm. the whole hot space album i think was very much driven by him mm. and probably john as well mm. um and look we we'll get to hot space and we'll discuss it um, whether you think it's a good album or a bad album it is probably queen's most divisive album sure yeah um because it was so different to everything else that had come before and i think when you do go very differently there are a lot of people who prefer the status quo Mm. so those songs sort of fall out of that that sort of channel if you like Mm. but i think it's very telling you're absolutely right there was never a terrible song there was never a bad one there was never a badly made song or badly constructed song they're just ones that we don't listen to as much as others but they're yes. all still better than everything else. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's true. That is that's true. Yeah. You know. That's true. That's very true. Delilah um, is still better than a vast majority of bands' entire catalogue. <laughs> <laughs> and it's something different as well. Like, who's going to begrudge Delilah anyway? Freddie Mercury went, I know this is my last album. Uh, and I really love my cat, and I yeah. write a song about it. Well, uh, well who's going to go? No, don't, don't do that. Like, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. so playful, and you know, lyrically, it's really whip smart. There's some really clever play in that song. Musically, you know, when Brian's using his wah pedal, <laughs> so we were told, <laughs> so we were told to create the sound of a cat. You know, there's a lot of playfulness in that song. It's. Uh, it's it's sort of a strange highlight actually from a quite a dark period in yeah. certainly the lives of queen fans yeah let alone That's queen it. so yeah yeah so my point is and i agree with you both completely i th- i think that the eclecticism that we talk about with queen is hugely driven by freddie as well like mm. I'm not saying that the rest of the band aren't like Roger's always innovative. He's always interested in sales that are happening five years into the future. Um, you know, Brian doesn't just do rockers. I mean, his rockers are immense, but but my God, he does extraordinary um, folk songs and ballads and stuff as well. But it's Freddie who's the one who's kind of going. He, he'll, he'll put Ogre Battle on the same album as the Fairy Fellas Master Stroke, right? <laughs> you, know that? you can't get more um, diverse than that. And I think you've hit the nail on the head, uh, Suze, is he will swing for the fences. He will go out there and he will write Get Down, Make Love, and then he will get the band together and go, we're doing this song, and yeah. then he'll do it, and he'll do it full tilt, and he'll put it out there, and people will either go, that's genius, or go, what the hell are they thinking? 
Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's not important to him. No. Yeah. Um, it's better to be it's better to be strong and wrong than yeah. right right and shite. Oh. Like yeah, that. we should we should get the um that thing on the Freddie Mercury statue in Montreux. We'll get, we'll get that replaced. The living <laughs> singer of songs, lover of life. <laughs> Hi, we've come up with an idea. Yeah, tell us if you hate this, but we thought we've had this new engraving done. Yeah, it was on Moonpig. You can get a tablet engraved. <laughs> can we stick it on the statue? It doesn't have to go over the top of the current plaque. Oh. It can just go next to it, and people are like, "Uh, I could you not do that?" I like, mm, that wasn't what this was about. About us not doing it, <laughs> we're doing it. Yeah, we're doing it, but we're making an adjacent point. Always strong and wrong, never yeah. right and shite. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, I am going to turn to Simon Lupton right now and talk to him as the co-author of Freddie Mercury in his own words. A fine, fine novel. It's not a novel, is it? It's an auto. It's the closest thing to a biography you can get from Freddie Mercury. Right? You've assembled all of Freddie's words into um, into a sort of biographical structure, and that was an. It's an amazing book. Um, let us get a potted history of the man from Zanzibar, from the man from Berkshire. Thank you very much. Yeah, you don't want much, do you? Just old Simon. You know, when we do this pod, you just give us a potted history of Freddie just Mercury. A, a potted history. Just a yeah. Just a few words about... One or two minutes, Max. The, 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 the legend that is Freddie Mercury. That's a really difficult ask. Um, yes. But, you know, I'm, I've, I've wrestled with it. But in an attempt to sort of keep it narrowed down to something that we can actually fit into a pod, um, I decided that if you're listening to this podcast, then you're probably aware of who Freddie Mercury is and what he achieved already. Mm. Um, but maybe not everyone knows who he was before he became Freddie Mercury. So I thought I'd I'd take that little journey with you. Um, So, Farouk Basara was born on the 5th of September 1946 in Zanzibar. And for those of you who don't know where that is, you basically sort of head for Tanzania and turn left. Mm -hmm. Um, His father worked as a civil servant. And so while the family wouldn't be described as obscenely rich, they certainly had a very comfortable lifestyle. Um, which I think Freddie uh, enjoyed. Uh, And when he was just eight years old, his parents decided to send him to boarding school in India. Uh, Given the distance from home, Freddie would have to spend most school holidays uh, staying with family in India. And so he naturally became very independent and learned to stand on his own two feet. The school he was at, St Peter's, uh, was an English school. And so he was subjected to many Western influences. Uh, His first name soon morphed into Freddie. Um, And in addition to a very English curriculum um, and being exposed to the delights of cricket, rugby and boxing, uh, he also started to immerse himself in music, heavily influenced by the British and American hits. He learned how to play the piano, uh, joined the choir and eventually formed a school band called The Hectics, who performed covers of songs by the likes of The Two Richards, both Cliff and Little. In 1962, Freddie left school and returned to Zanzibar, But the political situation had become unstable and so by the middle of 1964, although not under overt pressure to leave, many citizens of Indian or British descent felt too unsafe to remain and the Balsaras moved to England. 
For many, the upheaval of swapping the previously tranquil existence of Zanzibar for Feltham in Middlesex, a <laughs> suburb of West London, would have been a, a horrific shock. But not for Freddie, who was finally amongst the culture he had grown up with at school and fallen in love with. So much so, his sister Cash has previously commented that to her, Freddie was actually born aged 17 in Feltham. Hmm. Wow. Uh, he decided that he wanted to go to art college and so for the next two years he studied art at Isleworth Polytechnic to get the one A level he needed to go to Ealing Art College of Art. His grade A pass got him that place and in September 1966 he started at Ealing on a graphic illustration course. While at college he met a bass player called Tim Staffel and they become very good friends. Tim was in a band called Smile, and so Freddie would often go along to their rehearsals and gigs. It was there that he met and became very close to a certain Roger Taylor and one Brian May, also in Smile. Freddie graduated from Ealing College, and although now with a very good diploma in graphic art and design, he'd already decided that music was something he was far more interested in. He joined a band called Ibex and began to learn his craft as a frontman, despite his bandmates getting embarrassed by his increasingly more elaborate posturing and imploring him to just stand still and sing. <laughs> At the same time, he and Roger got a market stall in Kensington Market selling second-hand clothes as fashion items to gullible punters. Despite having a lot of talent, Ibex wasn't really going anywhere and eventually the band folded. Freddie then answers an advert for a lead singer uh, and after a successful audition, joined Sour Milk Sea. There's a wonderful story about how he got the job. Is that because he persuaded uh, Roger uh, and uh, Smiles' roadie, John Harris, who would go on to become oh, Queen's yeah. main roadie and sort of like the fifth member of Queen, if you like, yeah, um, yeah. to accompany him to the, audio, uh, to the audition. Uh, Roger held the door open for him. Freddie turned up in a very elaborate fur coat that he'd borrowed from the Kensington stall um, and John Harris followed him in carrying a box with Freddie's very own microphone in it and the other band members of Sour Milk Cell were so impressed by this uh, overt show of <laughs> that they, uh, and obviously when he sang that mm. Freddie was the obvious choice. Despite all that, that only lasted a few months and a handful of gigs before that too folded. Not to be deterred and while now actively trying to get work as a freelance designer, Freddie formed the band Wreckage with some of his former Ibex bandmates. They performed some gigs on the London student circuit and went down really well. However, Freddie was growing impatient and with Wreckage not really getting the traction he was hoping for, he decided to throw in the towel and they disbanded. It was roughly about this time that Tim Staffel decided to leave Smile, which meant Brian and Roger needed a new singer and Freddie had decided he was just the man <laughs> for the job. <laughs> there you go. Hey. So you make it look so easy. So <laughs> easy for me to ask you to do these things. Yeah, it wasn't easy. That took that took a while. That There's so much stuff. Hours and hours. And hours. <laughs> There's so much stuff I've left out. Oh, oh, such a fascinating that's awesome. Childhood. Anyway. When I was a kid, I for whatever reason we didn't have the internet and things right so for whatever reason 13 years old i had always just assumed because uh freddie was from zanzibar that he was and he didn't you know, 
it doesn't particularly see you know look like a person of color like i mean i look like a person of color, right? <laughs> and, and freddie less so i just assumed he was a white guy and it's only since doing the pod and i'm sort of re-inhabiting queen to the same level that i'm suddenly seeing someone who does you know his family originated from india came over to africa um, okay, there's a Zoroastrian, they're Persian um, in religion and stuff, but that is their ethnic background. Uh, he spent a lot of time in India as a child. I did the same, a little bit of time in India as a child. Certainly, my parents came from India over to, to England. Um, and so I'm sort of seeing someone who does represent me in lots of ways. And it has struck me that I'm actually, you know, I'm seeing someone a lot like me jumping about in front of the greatest musicians in history just commanding the hundreds of thousands of people in stadiums to do awesome things and it's a very striking powerful thing where you've known someone your whole life in terms of being a fan but are suddenly seeing them through a new lens in your 40s and I ended up having a chat with Brian about that earlier this year. And he went, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, to be honest, we didn't care about any of that. We just cared about the music. <laughs> that was so refreshing to hear, right? All they cared about mm. was putting out some awesome rock music. And they happened to straddle the planet. At a time where it was not popular to be either an ethnic minority or anything other than heterosexual. No, and but it's interesting to to just to put this out there. It was very much part of Freddie. Both like Freddie's sexuality and mm. Freddie's heritage was completely part of him, obviously, um, and therefore very much influenced the music. Absolutely, but I mean, I don't think he was dismissive of it. In no, that I'm sense sure. Because- no. I mean, it's quite clear that none of them had any prejudices within the no, band. No, no, no. I mean, they, they obviously were a very progressive group of people. Mm. They've always been intelligent and informed. I think that they facilitated someone who was listening to Western music out in India as an eight-year-old. Mm. Honestly, I, I think about Freddie's impact. If you if you look at someone who was, was a sort of huge... Um, uh, in the sort of latter half of the 20th century uh the previous century the the type of person that was was making that kind of impact on 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 the pop culture level was someone like Charles Dickens and mm. i do genuinely feel personally that that freddie has achieved that status right he said he would be a legend he is a legend mm-hmm. he, i think his legacy is in no doubt, he has he has ascended to godhood, and I, yeah, I, it's it's a remarkable thing. Um, looking at these things through a modern prism, and seeing how important they are for us now, um, but at that time, that was a group of four people who got past all of that and looked into creative and what they could do creatively, you know. Mm. And you're right, yeah, absolutely, leaving room for Freddie to explore whatever he wanted to explore lyrically musically and all the rest of it mm. um, from from his background absolutely yeah don't, don't disagree it's interesting because there isn't any there, there aren't um such a unique band in that respect because they have this uh lead singer who is who, who the the band's been around more than twice as long as he was in the band yeah um and there's no there's no getting away from the fact that 
1991, they lost Freddie, but they also never did because it's been 30 years of yeah. music that is, um, he's always there. He's always, he's in Completely. everything that Queen does now. Mm. Yeah. yeah, In the best yeah. way. And he's appearing in our lives as consistently, if not more consistently, you know, uh, I can't remember which show it was I was watching the other day, but uh, straight away Queen pops up, a hit list or whatever mm. it is, you know, Queen music will pop up and it's, and you'll hear Freddie, you know, singing while Iron Man throws a punch or whatever. I know I mentioned that example. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, Fr- Freddie is super present, you mm. know. I, I, I don't feel that he's less present from when I was a kid. I mean, okay, yes, there's a difference because we were excited about what the next output was going to be and what are they up to and all that. There's that. But in terms of his presence in our lives, I, yeah, I don't think it's diminished at all, mm. which I think is an incredible thing. Yeah, mm. Sam, you did a little investigation, I believe, with our uh, Twitter uh, followers on Freddie as a songwriter. Yeah, we, we asked all of the social media people Right, the all Twitter, of them. the Facebook and Instagram. All of them. We put a post out on all three, asking what everyone's favourite song that Fred wrote was. Ah. Mm-hmm. Whether it be a Queen song or uh, one of his solo works. Uh, and, and I've got a top five. I'm interested what you think maybe the top three might be. Well, I presume Bohemian Rhapsody. That's got to be in there. And Somebody to Love, surely. That's yeah. Probably Love of My Life is the third one. A melancholy but a lot dreams. of people love Crazy Little Thing Called Love, so I wonder if yeah. that... Oh, that's a good shout. Big in America, that one. It comes up a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, because it was such yeah. a big US hit. Champions. Champions is a big one. It's a big one. I'm curious about the... Like, for you, Suze, is your favourite mm. Freddie written song, My Melancholy Blues, in the end? Uh, no, March of the Black Queen. Of course. Of course, because it's got yeah. all of the music in the song. It's got everything. It's got all of it. It's incredible. <laughs> and there's loads you? of it. Simon can't pick one, so just pull five out of the uh, air, <laughs> and I won't hold you to any of them. <laughs> well, the thing is, is I've repeatedly said that Somebody to Love is my favourite. True. If, if, if that's the mm. only Queen song I was ever allowed to listen yes. to, you know, yes, Somebody to Love would be, be it. the same. And yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody is just such incredible. Piece. So if you take those out of the equation... Um, my answer today, but if you ask me tomorrow, it could be something completely different, um, is actually uh, In the Lap of the Gods Revisited. Ah, uh, uh, the Wo La one? Yeah. What's That's wrong with that? That's a, a good great shout. song. Yeah, yeah. Lovely, lovely stuff. What's the results? Yeah, a lot of people did do assignment and either go on this day is this one great or just give <laughs> loads of different answers so <laughs> anyone who answered loads i couldn't count uh but we got about 120 votes in total which was pretty cool and the Ooh. top five number five is you take my breath away so please don't go don't leave me here all by myself i get ever so lonely from time to time Take my breath away. 
Yeah. Ooh, good shout. Good very shout. good shout. Very popular okay. song. Number four was the Millionaire Waltz. Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, that's mm. number three. That is interesting that it's at number three. Mm. Yeah, number two is March of the Black Queen. Hey. Wow! <laughs> And the winner was somebody to love. Somebody to of tracks people voted for. There was a total of 36 songs chosen. Wow. So that's half his output, basically. Yeah. Yeah, 31 of them were Queen songs. Uh, five were some of his solo projects. Songs. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, that's. I think that's the thing. is, and, and We haven't done a huge amount of votey things out there beyond for fun, but we did a few in preparation for this lovely 12 days of Podmas that's going on right now where we're putting a thing out every day. It's very exciting, the Queen Pod 12 days of Podmas. So we did a few of these polls. And actually, just the sheer, like any time you ask anyone who loves Queen to pick what their favourite of anything is, it's impossible. It's so difficult. <laughs> because yeah. there's so, it's just whatever your favourite thing is, there's at least 10 <laughs> examples of, like what's your favourite Hard Rock Queen track. So, oh, yeah, I've got 10 of those. <laughs> What's your favourite Queen ballad? Yeah, I've got 15 of those. Yeah, yeah. I mean? It's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible, but it's fun, isn't it? It is it fun. It is fun. 
It is. Yeah. Let us move on to a section I am calling Freddie Mercury singer of songs. Brian mentioned a couple of times that in the early days, um, Freddie wasn't happy with his abilities as a singer. Like he would, he really worked hard. Like he spent ages in the studio pushing and pushing and pushing until he got his vocals to where they want to be on Queen One, Queen Two, uh, Sheer Heart Attack, like right the way through until he got to a place where I think he was feeling, yeah, no, okay, I, I know what my abilities are now. And he was a bit more in command, but he worked mm-hmm. really hard to become the singer that he was. Mm. You keep doing these amazing Sioux schools. Whenever we talk about Freddie and vocal elements come up, you obviously have studied this man's voice. Um, I'm going to ask you about his teeth in a minute, but for right <laughs> now, can you see that? Do you see a progression? Does that make sense to you? Were you aware of it? Uh, yeah, I mean, because Freddie didn't train as a singer, there wasn't so much... Freddie is teaching himself to sing because that's not a thing. Yeah. Um what I think what you get from his pre-Queen stuff to about the Sheer Heart Attack album is someone finding their voice. So it's like a, a writer, their first novel might be really exciting and uh, a mind-blowing read, but it's only a couple of novels later that they go, oh yeah, I know what I'm doing more now so they the, they'll mm. be structurally stronger and the same thing happens with a voice the same thing with comedians Edinburgh shows you do your first Edinburgh show and then you learn how to make Edinburgh shows from doing that so I think there was an element of he found he found his individual voice as Queen went on but I think he found it incredibly quickly because right. it's definitely there on Queen one it's not like this sort of mishmash it's all um uh, it's it's all congruent with itself. Right, it's right, not. Right. There's nothing jarring in his uh, different in the different qualities that he's singing in on Queen One. Um, but by the time you get to Sheer Heart Attack, you go, oh yeah, this guy makes the right vocal choice for himself every time. Ah. I think that's I think that's what's going on there, really. Yeah. And is that because I mean you've obviously. I mean, obviously, you're a huge fan anyway, and I'm sure you've mm. studied lots of singers, but you have spent a lot of time <laughs> looking at how Fred works his voice as an instrument and all the rest of it with yeah. the knowledge that you have. What is that? What makes Fred especially compelling for you in that in that area? It's the same. He's like the Maria Callas of rock. So Maria Callas... Oh. Um... Oh, we need another adjacent sign. <laughs> the Maria Callas of rock. I hope he'd be happy with that. I think he would. Um, Maria Callas is, she's probably the most famous, certainly female uh, opera singer uh, in, probably in history. She, it wasn't so much, Maria Callas has the best voice, but Maria Callas was the most electric performer and she had this incredibly versatile voice for opera. Because opera singers will get pigeonholed in one particular voice you'll either be a spinto soprano or you'll be um a coloratura mezzo and then you're you sort of have a list of about 10 roles you can play and you play them for as long as you can still sing them and then you retire and teach and get bitter i guess but (laughs) but maria callas she could sing she could sing coloratura soprano she could sing beefy mezzo roles and so she, I, to me, she's the most exciting opera singer I'll ever okay. hear. Okay. Um, 
And Freddie has that in rock. He can span all these different styles, but it's still unmistakably him. And that's yeah. really fascinating to me. Um, and you can't teach that. Like you can teach people to... You could teach people to put distortion on their voice like Freddie did. You can. There's a way of teaching that, and it's safe for them to do that. But you can't teach someone to have an all-encompassing voice. It's yeah, not. Yeah. I it, mean, he it, has. It got doesn't the work most that way. Distinctive voice. Yeah. In pop music, right? Like absolutely mm-hmm. everyone knows it's Freddie whenever it's Freddie. That's Even it. If he's on a backing track, like you can hear. It's yeah, yeah. In a way that and I you, mean, you know, people would do Bowie impressions or whatever, but. Yeah. No one does Freddie impressions. <laughs> you can't, yeah, people, there's only a handful of singers who can really impersonate Freddie Mercury. And when it's singers like Mark Martell, who on his own, you go, oh, wow, he sounds identical to Freddie Mercury. But when, when you break it down, you go, well, actually, he's not got the same, he's having to make his voice quite small and contained to create that sound. So it's being done via microphones, whereas Freddie, it was so huge, which is why he suffered quite a lot with um, vocal fatigue. Because a voice that big is going to um, grate on itself <laughs> when used hardcore. Um, but vocal damage, it doesn't equal crap singing. That's not how Did it works. Did you know that resulted in him practising naked? Yes. <laughs> I've got an amazing I have read that. Here. Have you read this? He goes, I have to go easy on the red wine because of my throat nodules. To warm up, I do mm-hmm. what I call mock operatics. I'm not doing the accent, obviously. I do it naked, though, because there's a certain piquancy about that. With clothes on, it doesn't work, so I sing in the complete roar. <laughs> I went to throat specialist. I think I saw them all. But they always tell you to just rest and not do the tour or have an operation. I came very near to having an operation, but I didn't like the look of the doctor, mm. and I was a bit perturbed about having strange <laughs> instruments forced down my throat. Yeah, I had nodules when I was sixteen, and it's really it's like it's such a scary thing to be told. They they put the camera up your nose, down your throat, and they go, "Oh yeah, you have nodules. Here are the options." Um, and at that time, this is going back twenty years, there wasn't the option of laser surgery, which is pretty safe and unintrusive, and uh, they they said they'd have to go in surgically and remove them. And nodules are tiny. Nodules are like calluses on your hands mm, if you mm. do a lot of work with your hands, just on your vocal cords from them banging together in an irregular way, which mine were at 16 because I ain't exactly built like a brick shithouse, but <laughs> I, had a, I had a very big voice that I was using um, too much while I was still growing, basically. Right. too much and too big while I was still growing I was trying to sing like Liza Minnelli and the sound was all there and then it would just give out because I was too young to be singing like that um, and Freddie uh, obviously had the same thing happen now I was given the option we'll see where we are in three weeks uh, take three weeks off when you're younger your body heals itself quicker anyway and our vocal cords um, produce a protein that can't be found anywhere else in the body that uh, it, that heals them. So when you've got a knackered voice from maybe going out partying a couple of nights in a row, or if you just had to talk a lot in the day, you feel mm. crap. That's the it's it's this unique protein that um, heals you, these incredibly fine um, muscles and tissue in your larynx. Uh, and as you get older, the the healing takes longer. Right. Um, so it's pretty, I, I actually think that Freddie did fine. Um, he was, I'm sure he was advised, 
and you steam and drink lots of water and and maybe don't talk for a day. And men's vocal cords are like old bootstraps anyway. So right. I'm sure he was fine. I'm glad he ever had the operation because Julie Andrews had the operation and, and she, that she her wrecked voice her. Forever, did it? Yeah. Really? yeah, she was. She 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 literally couldn't sing anymore. Oh it wasn't a case of like, oh, she's lost half her range. She lost the ability. Her vocal cords would no longer meet. So she couldn't Whoa. sing anymore. And imagine having that taken away from you when no, that's been your biggest gift, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, well done. Well, and he didn't. He didn't He didn't go in for any kind of surgery because, you know, he's got the four extra teeth in his mouth. <laughs> created this, which he refused to have removed for the same reason he didn't want to risk it affecting his voice. How did that affect yeah. his voice, those four extra teeth? Oh, okay. I mean, your teeth altered in any way does affect the voice. Um, when I was younger, I had a very pronounced overbite, had too many teeth in my mouth. I had to have all kinds of headgear for about three years to bring my jaw forward. Um, and it really, where your teeth are in the mouth and where your jaw sits, that's how your body is made. And so anything you do to change that will affect tongue placement which is something freddie was naturally just excellent his tongue was always in the right place uh, fillers um but this would have been something if he'd had his teeth sure done that's very happy to hear that <laughs> delivered with a wick um, it, uh, yeah if like freddie had this naturally very high hard palate uh, in his mouth with the roof of the mouth uh having his teeth done um would have affected the space in the mouth. He'd have had to adapt to that if he'd had his teeth out, his jaw reset, etc. However, he would have adapted to this and he would have still sounded like him. But I'm, well, I'm glad. I so I don't know if what his teeth did to his voice particularly, but I'm very glad he didn't have anything undone to his teeth because I'm someone whose face has charitably been described by this industry as cookie. <laughs> and it was great to grow up with a role model like Freddie. He didn't alter anything about himself. Like he was yes. perfect just the way he was. Yes. So I don't know if Freddie's teeth made him a great singer, but they were very much part of everything that was so wonderful about him. I'm and glad right. that he Not kept it right to the end. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right, right. Thank you, Suze. That's a high-level Suze school for Christmas. Thank you. Awesome. Not to be outdone, of course. He's guaranteed to blow your mind. It's Simon Says. Guaranteed to blow your mind. Follow that, Simon. <laughs> well, it was interesting what you were just saying there because um, when Freddie was doing the Barcelona album with uh, Montserrat Caballé, um, She'd agreed that she would she would work on it with him, um, and she was like kind of flicking through her diary and says, "Well, I have, you know, two days, um, you know, in this month we I can come and record a whole album with you." So it wasn't going to be like the process he was used to with Queen, where they could just go into the studio and thrash songs out together. He knew he'd have to have everything prepared, everything ready, and then Montserrat would come in bang do her bit and go because mm. that's how mm. the world of opera works mm-hmm. um and there is this fantastic uh demo version of barcelona um with freddie essentially doing both parts yeah. as so that monster could come in he could play it to her she can go right get it and then do it um but this was recorded at a part of the process where he hadn't quite worked out all the lyrics yet so i thought it would be worth sharing because it's a fascinating 
look at the process of how Barcelona was made, but also just how amazing that Freddie had a go uh, pretty successfully, I'd say, at, Mm. at singing both bits. Wind is blowing free Montserrat hadn't turned up, they still would have had an album. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Fantastic. The melodies in that song are pure goosebump stuff, aren't they? So yeah. is that out there, Simon, or have you pulled that from some secret No, that, it, it's if they, uh, several years ago, they brought out a lovely, uh, huge Freddie Mercury box set. It was in a lovely brown book. Oh yes, I got and that. Was yes. And there was a CD of rarities on there. Right. Mm. Okay. That was on okay, there. Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, my iTunes somewhere. just, just amazing. Mm. Beautiful. I have got a question about that, which is, you know how like Queen didn't use sheet music, right? They, they used sort of chords, so they had their own kind of little mm. code mm. to write their songs. So that, but for Montserrat, she would have required sheet music. Which yeah, she not. would have probably, she would operate it best off dots. I wonder if. There was, did you know, someone get it translated for her, or did Freddie actually go to town? And I suspect that was where Mike Moran stepped in. Yeah, I was thinking like, there's a, there's a, pro- probably the best transcriber in the business was right there. Right, exactly. <laughs> right, Freddie has right, a man right, who right, does right. that for him. His name, yes, of course. <laughs> Thank you, Thank you for plugging in that little gap in my knowledge. I appreciate it. Well, that was a great Simon says. Thank you oh, very much. much. Loved it. Oh. Oh, it's so nice to be together and talking about Freddie Mercury. I love it. Um, All right, well, look, we're coming towards the end of this Christmas Day podcast. There's a a couple of things that I thought would be worth uh, doing. One is uh, just running through a couple of the little things that happened in the um, Freddie Mercury schedule over the course of uh, 2021. It was, Mm. you know, his 75th birthday. What would he have been like at 75? I've worked out one thing. I am convinced that were he here today, he would have to have been knighted by now. By the He would have had to have been, right? Yeah. The person yeah. who wrote Bohemian Rhapsody would have to have been knighted by now, which means he would be Sir Mercury. <laughs> so good. <laughs> that is cool. He'd walk into place and go, hello, darlings, I'm Sir Mercury. So and he would have insisted that people call him that. <laughs> Do you know what I think so? I think yes, so. absolutely. Yes. He would have had a field day with that. 
they all deserve to be knighted, frankly. I'll whiz through a couple of things that happened sort of in the Freddie Mercury calendar this year to remind you of what a year it's been. So, for example, mm. um, in July, Love Me Like There's No Tomorrow was released mm. on seven-inch pink vinyl for the first time uh, with a previously unreleased instrumental version of the track. That was part of the record uh, store day. That's amazing. And then we get into the September area and, and we're heading into November which is a, 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 a much harder anniversary for us Queen fans which is of course 30 years since um, our dear Freddie passed. Um, I think I prefer to concentrate on the fact that it was 70, 70, 75 years of Freddie Mercury yeah. for me, do you know what I mean? Um, but that's not to it was just a hard week right it's, it's always a hard week that, that week uh, where we remember Fred in that way uh, the National Portrait Gallery in London uh uh, took the they acquired the Neil Preston photo of Fred at Wembley 86 is that the one behind you actually there Simon and mm. that is now in their permanent collection at the natural portrait there we go for Sir Mercury I think that's the correct thing to do um, yeah. as we move into November I think the thing that's worth pointing out was um, there's a wonderful BBC documentary called Freddie Mercury the final act I don't know if you've got a chance to catch that Suze mm. Is, wasn't yeah, it beautiful? Yeah. It was it's just yeah. the. It's such a difficult. So it was discussing sort of eighty six up to the Freddie Mercury tribute, which is sort of the area that, for example, they didn't want to necessarily address in the Queen movie, right? In Bohemian Rhapsody, it's it's sort of an area that's sort mm. of left unexplored. But they did it so brilliantly by yeah. talking to people from the time. You know, I think there's a, a kind of an assumption that Queen did Live Aid. And then Freddie Mercury died of AIDS, where there was <laughs> there was so much output so in that six in that six laugh. years. Yeah, sorry, like, yes. <laughs> no, yeah. it's no, true. No, no, so many, so many yeah. people go, "Oh yeah, wasn't he already ill when he did Live Aid?" You're like, "Well, yeah, but do you not know that there's ton of stuff yes, that happened yeah, between? Exactly. You know so the song because everyone knows the song Barcelona. Everyone knows the song Show Must Go On. Yeah, and you, they yeah. go, "That's just and two of the all. things." Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 and the Invisible Man, well, yeah. probably their most famous mm -hmm. track. Um, so, <laughs> Simon, I think you you weren't involved with that particular piece, but you were sort of the Queen consultant for it, weren't you? And you you, you got in touch with me and said you must check it out. Yeah, I was an exec producer on it, um, mainly sort of um, on on behalf of sort of Queen Productions, and so you know the. Uh, I think it's a terrific documentary, but the you know the, the plaudits must go to um, James Rogan who directed it, um, and and Dan uh, who produced it, and Chris who edited it. Um, I think they just did a phenomenal job. But I think what I took away from the whole experience, because um, I was, I'm obviously conscious that you know the day before Freddie died, he released the statement mm. admitting or not admitting, mm. but yeah, telling the world that he had HIV and, and AIDS. Mm -hmm which I knew at the time was it was a major thing because up until that point no one else had sort of publicly ad admitted it in you know at that kind of level of stardom we knew Rock Hudson had died of it yes but that that was sort of found out rather than necessarily Rock Hudson sort of making a public statement so for Freddie to do that was incredibly powerful and when you watch that documentary and see the story of all of those thousands of of people that were going through exactly what Freddie went through at that time when it was a death sentence if you if you became HIV positive and it, it turned into AIDS um, 
it just made me realize that the, how important that statement was not just for us to appreciate freddie but for him to say that on behalf of all of those people who'd had to sort of stay silent and hide it because it was a disease of shame it was a disease of stigma ridicule and so forth um so i think if anything the fact that we have his music to enjoy but also we have his name to act as a sort of a beacon of light of standing up to, to AIDS, even to this day, I think is mm. as much of a legacy from Freddie as um, as his music. And mm-hmm. that is yeah. down to that statement and the work that's subsequently been done by Brian and Roger, you know, Jim Beach and the Mercury Phoenix Trust um, to say, you know, our friend had nothing to be ashamed of. He had Absolutely. nothing to hide. You know, he was a brilliant genius and Mm. you know we will celebrate that and you could you could palpably feel it um i mean i I remember at the time i was about 16 i think and you know the little red ribbons were out for you know we all wore Mm. little red ribbons for for the very mercury Mm. tribute and they were terence higgins trust ribbons and we wore them for years it was aids awareness ribbon and I, i i remember like you know shifting that shift from Everyone who wore a ribbon was now the good guy. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it was because it was Freddie. Of all people, mm. he was mm. so loved. And we've got listeners who have dedicated their lives to AIDS research and stuff, you know, and, and uh, you know, um, you've, you've, you've made this point before, I think, which is, you know, if Freddie were diagnosed today, he would have lived he would have lived a long, happy life. He'd have had a full recording career out of it. But yeah, that's I mean, because... Yeah, it'd, been, it'd been no different to getting diabetes or something. Exactly. Like, it's yeah. like, oh, you have this, and now we manage it. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. the great yeah. tragedy, is three or four years yeah. after he was diagnosed, if he'd been diagnosed, he would have... Yeah. You know, he would still be with us now. You yeah. Know, it, it, that but I think, have... I think his passing had catalyzed so much of that cultural shift and yes. enabled... Uh, uh, investment in medical research and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. It was such a huge, palpable event and a, a powerful and brilliant le- legacy from that man. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but it was amazing to hear from. If, if, I know that if you live abroad, it might be hard for you to track down a BBC documentary, but there are ways you can do it. Um, it's well <laughs> worth doing. So, there we go. I thought mm. I'd just talk a little bit about that lovely thing. No, it's, it's worth mentioning. The It's a Hard Life prawn suit costume, which I know you desperately covet, don't you, Suze? <laughs> currently, I can tell you where it is, Suze. It's currently yeah. on display at the Queen, the greatest <laughs> pop-up store. So oh, well, I'll be there in the new year. Get your hat and cross team together. We're going in. My very own Lufthansa heist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure yeah. there's a few listeners that would happily join your uh, your crack commando uh, heist. I just <laughs> run out. I run out wearing it. Yeah. Ah! Just running through the street. <laughs> ah! like, you could have stolen Freddie's outfit. Yeah. <laughs> You'll never take me alive, coppers! You know, then pause and just Lay like we are. Just an eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just pity the poor sort of, you know, artist who has to, you know, take eyewitness statements and draw a likeness. <laughs> Of, of what it looked like. <laughs> the legs, the legs like hanging off the end of my feet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Ah! <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. 
we have got to the end of another cheeky podcast on Christmas Day. Um, we hope you have enjoyed our Christmas gift to you. Tomorrow there will be a Boxing Day surprise of, on our 12 days of Podmas, uh, which is an exciting thing. Um, obviously, we are going to be getting into Season 3 in the new year, fingers crossed. But for that, we need your support. Obviously, go along to patreon.com forward slash queenpod. Get a badge. Get a shout out on the pod. Get your ad-free apps. Get them early. Lovely stuff. Of course, we need that. But more than anything, actually, we need numbers. We're doing quite well. There's lots of people listening to us all over the world. Hello to all of you. Thank you. But we... It's like loads of people listening to, to this pod. We need to get that word out there. Tell everyone you know. We've got some podcast-type exec-type advice and one of the things we got was well queen's a bit niche isn't it <gasps> niche? Yeah. niche what an unpopular band <laughs> are you kidding? most people can only name most people can only name one or two of their songs yeah exactly i'm like what um so please help us prove exec experts wrong Queen is not niche. We would like to prove to the world that Queen is not niche through the medium of podcasts. Please help us do that. <laughs> uh, help us spread our wings, yes? So, until next time, let the music play, make the voices sing, start the celebration, and shake the foundations from the skies, shaking all our lives. Freddie Mercury, messenger of the gods, who has ascended to godhood himself, we thank you. On our way out, Simon, you've got an extra cheeky Christmas Freddy surprise for us, haven't you? Yes, I have. Um, what is it? Well, you what know, fans of the present. Queen pod know we love a remix. Yeah. We oh, love no. a remix. But, <laughs> but this is a good one, so don't panic. I'm not going to ruin okay. Christmas with a god-awful you know, butchering of a, of a Queen classic. Okay, um, okay. This is a great remix of Love Kills. A Freddie solo track ah. um, from his Mr. Bad Guy era. Um, and what they've done is they've... It's called the rock mix, but it, they've made it sound live. And so if we can imagine, Ooh. as Brian has done on solo tours, Roger has done solo tours, let's just imagine that Freddie oh. did a solo tour. Mm. Um, so as we play out, just close your eyes. Imagine you're at Wembley Stadium, Freddie Mercury... The solo live tour. He's done a few Queen classics because you have to, don't you? Sure, sure. But then he also does um, this amazing version um, of Love Kills. So have a listen. Wow. Well, to Happy this. Christmas, Happy Christmas, guys. Love Kills drills you through your heart. Love Kills scars you from the start. It's just a living fast This has been the Queen Pod, a Seven Seas Films production. Edited and produced by me, Sam Easton. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And stay in touch by emailing queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and Merry Christmas. Love don't give no compensation. Love don't pay no bills. Love don't give no indication. Love just won't stand. 
deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.